Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday 27th of January 2022, from the news section. BBC TV film crews for Shetland causing chaos in Kilmacombe by Lorraine Tinney. Fed up Kilmacombe traders and residents claim TV crews are causing chaos in the village after blocking streets for the sixth time. They say crews shooting scene for the BBC Scotland drama series Shetland have taken away parking spaces from their customers in Lochwinnock Road and are also monopolising spaces in the community centre car park. Butcher Douglas Graham, who owns Blackwoods, says his takings for the day halved because shoppers did not have anywhere to park. He told our sister title, the Greenock Telegraph, I think it's ridiculous. The parking has disappeared. How can you shut the whole village down to parking? I wonder, is the council getting a bit of action from the TV company? I will lose 50% of my normal Thursday sales because of this. The parking situation here is bad enough and the filming is never on a Monday. It's always towards the end of the week. This has been at least the sixth time. Councillor David Wilson has told the businessman there is no financial benefit to the local authority and that it was a PR exercise. Councillor Wilson said, I am getting complaints from constituents and from traders and one trader told me they were 60% down on in one day. I personally like the Shetland series. It's just become too much of an inconvenience to business. We don't mind accommodating Shetland, but six times is too many. It should be completed by now. Villager Billy Blair, 71, said every time they come, they take up more and more parking spaces. They're also using a lot of spaces in the car park. They've been here six times, which is a lot for a small village, and it's caused a lot of ill feeling with people living in the centre of the village. Councillor Wilson has also questioned the use of police resources in the operation. He said, we have two officers here when we have antisocial behaviour in the village and in Port Glasgow. I don't think it's a good use of police resources. Council bosses have defended the permission given to the film crews. A spokesperson said, Inverclyde has built up a good reputation as being a welcoming place for film and TV companies, which is why so many return. This is aligned to our ongoing work to promote the area as a good place to live, work, visit and do business. Ultimately, anyone has the right to apply for a temporary traffic regulation order, but any restrictions should always take into account the local environment. And on our experience, companies are conscious of that and keen to cause as little disruption as they can and inform and accommodate anyone who may be affected by filming. Film and TV presents an opportunity to showcase our wonderful towns and villages and is an area we are keen to continue to support. That article was by Lorraine Tinney. 
from the Glasgow Times of Thursday the 27th of January 2022 from the opinion section Glasgowist raise a glass to Robert Burns and Scottish hospitality Burns night has set the tone for Glasgow food and drink this week Around the more formal traditional dinners that have resumed with people able to meet around the table to share stories and stovies, we've seen a wider celebration of hospitality and culture. Ubiquitous Tip has been a headquarters for Burns Night for 50 years. Normally contemporary takes on the poetry of Scotland's bard would ring out through the restaurant with a piper accompanying courses of monkfish, lamb, haggis and a dram of whisky for a toast before a full-throated rendition of Auld Lang Syne. This year, plans were put on hold while winter restrictions were in place. With announcements on an improving situation, there was an opportunity for another gathering. Yet the hospitality industry isn't something you can just switch back on again. The chip decided to have a more casual celebration this year, but there was still a sense of occasion. There was a set menu served in the bar along the usual brasserie offering. One of the things that has sustained Ubiquitous Chip through the decades is the collection of atmospheres and styles of scene you can find within the landmark building on Ashton Lane. The atmosphere was perhaps more muted in the upstairs dining room than in previous rooms, enlivened by occasional passing traffic from the bar itself. Things picked up with the arrival of a small band. After they played their first song, there was a ripple of applause from the audience. Thanks for my first round of applause of 2022, the singer said with a grin. It's really good to be back. Sitting by the fire in a wood-lined bar with a formidable Caledonian feast ahead of us, whiskey cocktails and pints, the joy of live music and a few laughs with pals, a formula that has stood the test of time and that has returned to our lives. Ubiquitous Soup was ahead of the game in terms of leaning into modern Scottish cooking and shouting from the rooftops about what we do well in Scotland. The year ahead brings with it a chance to regain some of the momentum in hospitality. Conditions remain daunting, yet there is an extraordinary resilience within the people that are opening new businesses and determined to drive on familiar ones. Championing Scotland's larder is going to be part of that effort. Oysters arrive, a supplemental order to add to the main proceedings. It's a platter of substantial ones with shallot vinaigrette and lemon that provide a sharp taste of the sea. We continue in a coastal direction with a warming, gratifying bowl of cullen skink with bread and butter for dipping. Does Scottish soup get any better? The set is completed by a solitary barra scallop on a bed of ponzu, ginger and sesame as the band play a Bob Dylan cover, one that would probably have been on Rabbi's Spotify playlist if he was around today. Then the main event, 
If there is a great chieftain of the Padden race, it would be the Chips Venison Haggis, served here since 1971. Tonight it is served up in a mound, part of a triptych of Scottish flavours with neeps and tatties. It is formidable and spice and a triumph when bathed in whisky cream. The band have moved into Bruce Springsteen now. There's a statue of Robert Burns in Central Park in New York, so I'm sure the boss would have heard of him in New Jersey. Somehow there is a charcuterie board on the table loaded with cured meats, but I only have room now for dessert. That takes the form of a delightful preparation of a heather honey and whisky mousse with caramelised oats layered below poached brambles. The meal ends on the right note. If you're now in the mood to raise a glass to Robert Burns or Scottish hospitality in general, the Scotch Malt Whisky Society will host a big Burns bash tonight. The live stream on Facebook and YouTube is open to members and non-members of the society that has a venue on Bath Street. Vic Galloway will introduce performances from Honeyblood's Steina Tweeddale, Sky-based musician Donald Livingston, and there will be poetry performances from actor Tam Dean Byrne. Find out more on the SMWS social channels. Cocktail time. Glasgow has finally arrived at one of the countries as one of the country's cocktail cap- capitals. The Absent Ear, a quirky atmospheric speakeasy opened last year in the Merchant City. Experimental and ambitious in their selection of drinks, the bar takes inspiration from the art of Vincent van Gogh. On Tuesday, the team will be in London for a gala event to announce the prestigious list of the UK's 50 top cocktail bars. Glasgow has been long overlooked in these awards, but this year the absentee are straight into contention. They will find out where they are placed on the list next week. The list is based on votes from hundreds of bartenders, managers and drinks experts from across the country. So this is a great endorsement of how the Glasgow bar scene is now perceived. Things are only going in one direction with cocktails and increasingly prominent part of the menu at restaurants like Capal, Five March, The Finiston and The Spanish Butcher with bars like Kelvin Grove Cafe, Blue Dog, Mosquito, The Gate and The Crescent driving trends. In October this year, they will be joined by The Alchemist, the mixology chain that will take over on the north side of George Square at the corner with North Frederick Street. This article was by Paul Trainer, Glasgowist. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 27th of January 2022, from the news section. Buchanan Gallery's update. Council to start talks with developers by Stuart Patterson. The council is to start talks with Buchanan Gallery's owners over plans to demolish the shopping centre and build a new neighbourhood in its place. Last week, the Glasgow Times revealed the shock plan to replace Buchanan Gallery's after less than 25 years of its opening. 
councillors have approved a proposal for council officers to discuss with Landsec their proposals for new streets, public squares and residential developments. The council said it will look at tax incremental finance to support some of the major works needed to deliver the master plan. The 10-year plan involves demolishing the current shopping centre, capping over some or all of the north cutting of the railway line at Queen Street Station to create a platform for either a building or a public space. Work on the 10-year plan could start as early as next year. It is not known whether the centre could be closed and demolished or whether work would be done on a phased basis until it is all replaced. The work will maintain a public space at the top of Buchanan Street, where the Royal Concert Hall steps are. The Council stated, Any development of this area will reflect the history of this space as a resting point and an area for event activity, protesting and other public activities. The financing method, TIF, allows the Council to borrow over a 25-year period to deliver enabling works, creating an environment that will leverage new public sector investment. The Council then uses the additional business rates the development generates to pay back the TIF loan. Susan Aitken, leader of Glasgow City Council, said, Approval for the commencement of negotiations with Landsec would allow us to push ahead with addressing oncoming challenges and opportunities in this rapidly changing world. A 21st century city centre delivering on Glasgow's international standing and ambitions means more mixed-use developments, a greater residential population, more public spaces, sustainable transport options and more people-focused streets. The transformation of the Buchanan Galleries can be a vote of confidence on Glasgow's future. This article was by Stuart Patterson. You're listening to the Glasgow Times as published on Friday the 28th of January 2022. News. Glasgow High Street closures. Trespass on Buchanan Street closing down by Esther Tarnay, reporter. Outerwear retailer Trespass on the city's Buchanan Street is closing down. Signs in the windows of the store suggest that all stock must go before the shop shuts. A to-let billboard has also appeared on the building. This comes after this year has seen multiple high street closures in Glasgow city centre, including Next on Argyll Street and MNS on Sochi Hall Street is also set to shut. Trespass has been approached for comment. This article was by Esther Tarnay. You're listening to the Glasgow Times as published on Friday the 28th of January 2022. News. New Neighbourhood Plan for Postle Park and Saracen Street by Stuart Patterson, political correspondent. Plans to inject new life into one of Glasgow's local town centres to attract new people and businesses are being developed. Saracen Street in Postle Park is in one of the council's living neighbourhood plans from Rockhill to Cowlairs. Their proposals include creating better public spaces and safer walking routes to and from schools and also to and from the main shopping street from the surrounding communities. Saracen Cross is at the heart of the area and an asset, still thriving with shops and few empty units compared with other parts of the city. Millennium Square is the area beside the cross and has become characterised as a concrete jungle and an underused space. Already improvements are underway on Saracen Street with new planters on the street and an initiative to improve the shop front with a heritage style signage part of a remaking Saracen campaign with local businesses. 
Redeveloping the square and the north end of Saddison Street towards Hawthorne Street are seen as key to lifting the appearance. Ideas for the square include a trader's market and an event space for local people and community groups. The plans also involve improving the pavements and lighting in the area to make it feel safer. Demolitions to schools, houses and community facilities either side of Saracen Street over recent decades have left waste ground overgrown with weeds and filled with litter. Local people in a consultation wanted these areas transformed to create green spaces, outdoor seating and safer paths from the residential areas to the main street. The report identifies a number of interventions in Postle Park and the wider area. Several projects will be selected and taken forward to a design stage. Plans include Millennium Park Revisited, work with local community to improve the place quality of the concrete jungle. And Brothers Path, Balmore Road to Sarathon Street, improve path and lighting to create safe pedestrian route along Desire Line. And North Saddison Street Placemaking, improvements to provide reduced car space to quieter street to create more pedestrian-friendly public space. A council report states, The Living Neighbourhood Plan approach is based on implementation at the scale of large urban neighbourhood areas. The process will be led with public participation, helping to identify a series of thematic interventions in their local communities, while also delivering on the necessary city-scale interventions required. This article was by Stuart Patterson. You're listening to the Glasgow Times as published on Friday the 28th of January 2022. News. Storm Malik. Disruption expected in Glasgow as Met Office issues yellow weather warnings. By Nicole Mitchell, reporter. Glasgow faces three days of disruption as Storm Malik is set to batter the country. The first yellow weather warning is in place tomorrow, Saturday, January the 29th, from 4am to 3pm as strong westerly winds are expected to bring travel delays. Delays to road, air and ferry transport are likely and some bus and train journeys may take longer than usual. Delays should also be expected for high-sided vehicles on exposed routes and bridges and there could be some short-term power losses. A second warning is in place from 6pm on Sunday, January 30th until 12pm on Monday, January 31st. Road, rail, air and ferry services may be affected on these days with longer journey times and cancellations possible. Some roads and bridges may also close. There is the potential for power cuts and mobile phone coverage may be affected. Drivers are urged to take care. For more information, go to metoffice.gov.uk. This article was by Nicole Mitchell. This article is from the Glasgow Times. Date 28th January 2022 from the Opinion section. Boost needed for the retrofitting of properties by Martha Wardrop. Cutting VAT is a necessary action by the UK government in the response to the pandemic and would provide assistance to our green recovery over the longer term. It would help to address the climate emergency and support the city's just transition to net zero. It is widely acknowledged 
that a change to VAT is needed to help support recovery in the domestic construction sector. By reducing VAT on household repairs, the renovation of homes in Glasgow would be encouraged. By making home upgrades more affordable, it will also make much-needed energy efficiency measures more accessible to all households. This would result in improvement to the quality of people's homes. Glasgow's housing would achieve increased energy efficiency standards and bring savings on energy bills. We need to improve existing homes across the city, but current VAT rates act as a disincentive for this compared with new build. The tax system is currently rewarding the most wasteful type of construction while disencouraging the most sustainable. New build housing is taxed at 0% VAT, while most refurbishment work attracts the standard 20% rate. More help is urgently required to increase support for the reuse of buildings and brownfield land. A cut to VAT would assist in supporting work with our communities to improve our town centres and realise the many benefits from retrofitting of existing properties. Whilst we have declared a climate emergency, there is a focus on a green recovery. Green councillors are very concerned about the number of buildings that are being demolished. Demolitions are being propped up by outdated taxis and great swathes of our city's heritage are facing the threat of destruction. Making our existing buildings heat and energy efficient is possible and will deliver on the ambition of Glasgow's climate plan to be net zero by 2030. We must address the wasteful nature of the construction industry and develop the potential of a circular economy to rapidly reduce emissions. It has to be acknowledged that the conservation of buildings is a climate issue. The introduction of VAT changes is vital to ensure that the bulldozing of our buildings is an absolute last resort. On Thursday, a motion that I proposed to the City Administration Committee was agreed and the Leader of Glasgow City Council will write to the Chancellor of the Exchequer in, in support of a cut to VAT for building repair, maintenance and improvement works from 20% to 5%. By adopting this motion, there is cross-party support within Glasgow City Council for action to encourage building improvements of existing properties. The boosting of energy efficiency of existing buildings by reducing VAT can be a catalyst for development of low-carbon manufacturing. We want to increase support for companies to make the low-carbon transition and seek to boost to a sector grappling with the after-effects and materials shortages. Green councillors will continue to push for the reuse of existing buildings and insist that all building projects look to retrofit solutions first. That article was by Martha Wardrop. This article is from the Glasgow Times, date 29th January. 2022 from the lifestyle section. Glasgow Food Chat, East End's growing food and drink scene by Emma Sabaljak. With vendors exchanging flowers for espresso, 
Deniston's restaurants and cafes have created a micro-community of support for themselves. The East End area's community spirit was at the centre of a new episode of the Glasgow Times Food and Drink podcast. Niall Walker, co-owner of East, said during the episode, Gail Floristers is always dropping off flowers. Just left, right and centre. Just cut-offs from big orders. And we just swap it for some espressos or whatever. There's always a bit of bartering going on. He compared his location on Hillfoot Street, just off Duke Street, to a micro-community of businesses. Niall added, If you spend enough time in Duke Street and East End, you just know your neighbours, whether you have a choice in it or not. I think that is just the old mentality of Glasgow. Meanwhile, Maria Varela, who has brought a taste of Colombia to the area's coffee scene with Andina Coffee, described the area as very welcoming. I just find there is everything to do over there. The Colombian moved to the city in 2017 and reminisced about the process of settling into the area. It is proper, proper Glasgow. At the start, it was quite challenging for me because of the accent. I had to ask, what? So many times, she remembered with laughter. Also joining the list of guests on the podcast was Daryl Leach from Baked Pizza Al Taglio. The restaurateur described the area's community spirit as being innate to the whole of Glasgow. When you really get down to it, it turns out everybody knows everybody. So I think people are really good at getting behind each other here, Daryl said. It is always nice to see the reception for something you're doing. There is a great sense of support in Glasgow. You can listen to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That article was by Emma Savilyak. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 31st of January. BMW issue engine statement as police told to avoid high-speed chases. An article by Kieran Doody, UK trending editor. BMW has issued a statement amid reports police forces have been told not to pursue criminals at high speeds due to safety concerns. The Northern Echo reported last week that a no-pursuit policy has been introduced by Durham Police due to safety concerns over the BMW vehicles. Forces across the UK have reportedly been advised to avoid pushing vehicles above the speed limit when chasing criminals. The National Police Chiefs Council said it's aware of a potential problem with BMW vehicles and that it's now taking urgent steps. National Police Chiefs Council lead on police driving, Deputy Chief Constable Terry Woods said, We're aware that there may be an issue with some older vehicles in our fleet and we're taking urgent steps to ensure that this is addressed, including offering guidance to forces. Chiefs are working with the National Association of Police Fleet Managers to examine any risks. Our priority at this time is to ensure the safety and the long-term integrity of the equipment our officers use. Despite the reports, BMW has stressed there's no reason for concern among customers. A statement said, The safety of our customers and their vehicles is of utmost importance to BMW. We've been working with the police for some time on a technical matter linked to a small number of special high-performance vehicles. This issue is associated with the particular way in which the police operate these high-performance vehicles. This unique usage profile puts extra strain on some components, and therefore BMW has specified a special servicing programme for these vehicles. There's no need for action on any civilian vehicles.
an article by Kieran Doody. Glasgow Times News, on Monday the 31st of January. Coatbridge Community Hub, work begins on innovative new project. An article by Sarah Campbell, digital journalist. Coatbridge school pupils took part in a turf-cutting ceremony this week to mark the start of work to create an innovative new community hub. The £24.8 million project will find its home on the former Calder Community Centre site and will have space for up to 534 pupils as well as 50 early learning and childcare places. The hub will bring together children from Carnborough Primary School and Sykeside Primary School as well as an early years learning class to offer flexible learning spaces and state-of-the-art facilities such as an 11-a-side all-weather playing surface. Due to open in the summer of 2023, all of the new facilities at the hub will be available to the wider community out with the school day. Councillor Frank McNally, Convener of Education and Families, said it was great to have pupils from the two schools at the site so that they could see for themselves construction work starting on their new school and community hub. This new state-of-the-art hub will provide a fantastic learning environment for pupils and teaching staff and will provide excellent facilities for the wider community to enjoy. We have a clear goal to ensure that our youngest residents have the very best start in life and we're committed to replacing every establishment not rebuilt or remodelled since 1996. An article by Sarah Campbell. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 31st of January. Friends of the Earth release toxic air pollution report for Glasgow by Sarah Campbell, digital journalist. A climate change campaign group has claimed that increased traffic caused Glasgow to record illegal levels of toxic air pollution last year. Friends of the Earth Scotland has released a report which says that despite a historic low in 2020 due to lockdown restrictions, the level of air quality on Hope Street saw a dramatic decline in 2021. The group has now said that more needs to be done to tackle the problem by introducing more accessible and environmentally friendly public transport. Friends of the Earth Scotland's transport campaigner, Gavin Thompson, said Glasgow once again has illegal levels of air pollution. Our city centre is clogged back up with old diesel vehicles after the huge changes of the 2020 lockdown meant the city was legally compliant on air quality for the first time. Glasgow's misshapen bus network is a huge part of this problem and there hasn't been any move to address this. Bringing buses into public ownership and creating a comprehensive network that connects communities with electric buses would reduce pollution and climate emissions. We need to remember that pollution damages our health through long-term exposure, such as living near a main road throughout your childhood. The rebound of toxic pollution in 2021 puts us all at risk. A spokesperson from Glasgow City Council has responded to the call for action by highlighting the steps they've already made to reduce the amount of traffic throughout the city. They said Glasgow has introduced Scotland's first low emission zone, which will apply to all vehicles from 2023, and will bring forward proposals for more low traffic and car-free city centre streets in the coming weeks. The city's new transport strategy targets a 30% reduction in car miles by the end of this decade, along with a 270-kilometre active travel network of footpaths and cycle lanes. Glasgow is working with partners to develop a Clyde Metro to improve public transport provision, among other measures such as increasing bus priority. However, local residents have voiced their concerns over the long-lasting damage that could be caused by toxic pollution 
and worry that these changes could come too late. Jennifer Anderson, a lecturer and mother of two who lives in Glasgow's south side, said it's really worrying how often we're exposed to air pollution and the different ways it can harm our health. Glasgow feels like it's behind other cities, where there are fewer cars and where travelling by bike or public transport is really quick and easy and cheap. The children in my area should all be able to cycle with their families in safety. That should be the goal for Glasgow. An article by Sarah Campbell. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 31st of January. Soup kitchen staff in Glasgow left traumatised after a string of verbal and physical attacks. An exclusive article by Ruth Souter, multimedia journalist. Soup kitchen staff in the city centre say they've been left traumatised after an alleged string of verbal and physical attacks carried out by members of the public. A number of Homeless Project Scotland volunteers have even resigned from their duties at the Argyle Street unit due to the abuse. It's claimed that thugs are targeting the premises and have been spitting, shouting and swearing at staff and service users. Police confirmed that a man and a woman were arrested in connection with a disturbance at the facility on Wednesday evening. Chairman of the charity, Colin McInnes, said there's a great deal of pressure on the soup kitchen at the moment. Between a rise in inflation and the cut to universal credit, our volunteers have been working tirelessly to help others and unfortunately they've been met with abuse. Due to the cuts to universal credit, we've had a lot more families, elderly people and vulnerable people coming for help. On top of that, pressure and increasing demand, there's now intimidation and abuse from members of the public towards our volunteers. It's claimed that an aggressive mob has been standing on the opposite side of the road where they attempt to incite a disturbance. Colin said, We've had people standing across the road from our soup kitchen calling our volunteers names and also attempting to incite a disturbance. Our service users have been threatened, intimidated and assaulted. It's resulted in the need for an increased police presence in the area to make our facility feel safe again. The inspector for the area has been really helpful in making our volunteers and service users feel secure, but this should not be happening. A couple of our volunteers have been traumatised by the ordeals and unfortunately a few haven't returned to the soup kitchen because they feel threatened. The issue led the charity to re-evaluate its operation, where it was feared the soup kitchen would be axed. Collins said, From the charity's perspective, we've even considered closing our soup kitchen due to the safety of our service users and volunteers. It's made me self-reflect on the charity and on our operation day to day. I thought, why am I putting people on the front line to be abused? We've had people spitting at us, shouting at us, the lot. It's just been ongoing intimidation. I don't know why people want to stand across the road and hurl abuse at us on a Friday night. Colin hopes to move the soup kitchen into an indoor unit where security would control who enters the building. He's appealed to the council bosses to consider letting the charity move into an empty building owned by the local authority. He said, we're trying our best to source an indoor facility where people can come to us and have a bit of dignity and respect to accessing our services without the threat of being abused. It would be great if someone could help us, but we would like to see Glasgow City Council have a look at their empty buildings and get back to us. We think it's time they stepped up to help the homeless. A Police Scotland spokesperson said, We were called around 8.30pm on Wednesday, January 26, to a report of a disturbance in Argyle Street in Glasgow. A 24-year-old woman and a 33-year-old man have been arrested and charged in connection with the incident and the report will be sent to the Procurator Fiscal. The Glasgow Times has approached Glasgow City Council for comment. An exclusive article by Ruth Souter. 
Glasgow Times News on Monday the 31st of January. Uncertainty over future of school outdoor centre, which is part of Glasgow's DNA. An article by Sarah Hilly, local democracy reporter. Staff at the popular school outdoor centre Blair Vadach are facing constant uncertainty as the facility is continuously under threat of closure, a meeting has heard. Council Officer Donny McLeod said Blair Vadach has been a central part of the DNA of Glasgow for the past 50 years. Mr McLeod made the comments as he delivered a report on the pupil programme, which is due to see the service restructured to ensure a sustainable future. The Education, Skills and Early Years City Policy Committee heard that there are plans to increase its reach and curricular impact. There are hopes to increase occupancy at the residential courses from about 11,000 to 13,000. Pointing out the impact of the service on children, Mr McLeod said, We all know the memories of a residential visit last a lifetime for many of our citizens. Blevarach gives pupils breaks away, offering water and land-based activities in Rue, 45 minutes outside Glasgow. There's also a city centre base at the Pinkston Water Sports Centre. A report presented to the committee said more children have been attending every year over the last decade. Laying out challenges facing the employees of Blevarach, Mr McLeod said there's an ongoing uncertainty for staff, the fact that the centre's often identified as a potential budget saving and the threat of closure. We've seen the pain of that in the recent past, despite the fact that it's been a central part of the DNA of Glasgow for the last 50 years. Blevadach allows children from poorer backgrounds the chance to enjoy outdoor education experiences, which they wouldn't normally have access to. Work underway will see children in care benefiting from a new therapeutic outdoor education programme. Service transformation recommendations include schools, eco-adventure trips, supported study weekends and Glasgow Schools holiday programmes. As part of a review, pupils, parents, teachers and others were asked to give their opinions on what they would like the service to provide going forward. The report presented to councillors said that there would be a slight reduction in number of personnel due to restructuring. The committee has considered the contents of the report. An article written by Sarah Hilly. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 31st of January. Unite Union calls for Glasgow Life to be in council control. An article by Katrina Stewart, columnist and reporter. Union bosses have issued a call to have Glasgow's art and culture organisation brought back under the umbrella of Glasgow City Council. Unite laid out its demands following the announcement that Glasgow Life Chief Executive Bridget McConnell is to retire. Glasgow Life, an arm's-length council organisation, runs major city venues such as the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery, the Mitchell Library and the Emirates Arena. The current setup means it receives tax breaks because the organisation is listed as a charity. Wendy Dunsmore, Unite Industrial Officer, said The current review of the service alongside the retirement of the current Chief Executive provides the ideal opportunity to redesign Glasgow Life in the interests of the workforce and the public. We believe that both would be best served by bringing Glasgow Life back in-house with Glasgow City Council. However, we're equally clear that the Scottish Government must also step in and provide the necessary revenue to support local councils in order to keep these venues open and thriving as the pandemic restrictions are lifted. Unite and other unions lodged a formal collective grievance against Glasgow Life plans to cut 500 posts, a move it said it was necessary due to the financial impact of the pandemic. 
The trade union has also repeatedly called for Glasgow's cultural assets and venues to receive a fair share of national funding from Holyrood and Westminster. In October 2021, Unite lodged a petition at the Scottish Parliament with the Citizen Participation and Public Petitions Committee. The petition was considered by the committee on January the 19th this year and its members agreed that it be kept open for wider views from stakeholders. A Glasgow City Council spokesman said, as well as the operational benefits of Glasgow Life being a charity, there's a financial benefit to the council of around £20 million a year. This directly supports the delivery of services and would be lost. An article by Katrina Stewart. Evening Times, January 31. Mike Daly says, permanent lockdown powers are a Pandora's box for democracy. When income tax was first introduced in 1799 by Prime Minister William Pitt the Younger, it was a temporary fix to help pay for Britain's Napoleonic Wars. It was occasionally abolished, but ultimately reintroduced to pay for the Crimean War before becoming a permanent levy on citizens from the mid-19th century onwards. The lesson being, once a genie gets out of the bottle, it's hard to put it back in. Income tax never granted anyone three wishes. It just kept going up and spawning siblings like purchase tax on luxury goods, later to morph into the regressive VAT on just about everything. Governments like having more powers and there are no better powers than absolute ones. <clears throat> Last week, the Scottish Government introduced its Coronavirus Recovery and Reform Bill. In a nutshell, it wants to give Scottish Ministers the permanent power to impose future lockdown restrictions on citizens, businesses, schools and universities in Scotland. In justifying the need for these powers, we are told the bill will also give Scottish ministers powers to allow them to build resilience against future public health threats. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. The creation of permanent draconian ministerial powers for an unknown future threat does not build or create anything. If we have a future public health emergency, ministers can easily obtain additional powers from the Scottish Parliament through our normal democratic process. The Parliament has dealt with all manner of emergency legislation over the last 20 years. Why would you need to hang on to emergency powers forever? This is reminiscent of the 1539 Statue of Proclamations, which allowed Henry VIII to rule by decree and effectively bypass Parliament. Why should Scotland regress to the rotten old days of rule by executive edict? Aren't we a modern, inclusive democracy? I should add that the new coronavirus bill has some good ideas, 
like retaining efficiencies of communicating electronically where convenient, pre-action requirements in private tenancy evictions, and abolish mandatory evictions in the private sector. That said, there were those of us who cautioned the Scottish Government against the creation of mandatory eviction grounds in the first place seven years ago. Such warnings were largely ignored. I recall describing the then 2015 Private Housing Tenancies Bill as creating a menu for private landlords to evict tenants with no defence or test of reasonableness. Likewise, the fair rent measures in the bill were ill-conceived and to this day have never been used. Why don't we prioritise legislation to help private sector tenants and others in society cope with the cost of living crisis? Curiously, the bill aims to help tackle the backlog of cases in the criminal justice system. I see no evidence that it would do that. We have witnessed the long withering decline of the criminal defence bar with the Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal Service, COPFS, and public bodies offering bigger salaries than high street firms can afford to pay. COPFS is recruiting trainee solicitors over the next two years with salaries of £30,000 per annum and a 26% employer's contributory pension. Private firms or community law centres cannot match that. Younger lawyers are leaving the defence bar. How can you tackle court backlogs when you don't have any defence lawyers? We have a growing inequality of arms for ordinary citizens to access justice in Scotland and ultimately enforce their legal rights and challenge unlawful public law decisions. The coronavirus bill offers nothing to resolve these problems. Perhaps the greatest contradiction in the Scottish Government's desire to keep lockdown powers is how out of kilter this is with the Council of Europe's 12 principles of democratic governance, the COE, the Council of Europe. Explain to me how the bill meets the Council of Europe's participation principle. How does it ensure all voices, including those of the less privileged and most vulnerable, are heard? and taken into account in decision-making, including over the allocation of resources, or the COE principle of openness and transparency. There is public access to all information which is not classified for well-specified reasons as provided for by law, or the COE principle of accountability Decisions are reported on, explained and can be sanctioned. The past two years of Covid rulemaking has seen parliamentarians and the public excluded from access to the full data and reasons why particular decisions were made. 
decisions that had profound consequences for removing individual liberty and the ability of businesses to operate. Often there has been no real parliamentary scrutiny of the exercise of draconian powers by Scottish ministers. Making this type of arrangement permanent is unconscionable. You cannot have an emergency for life. This bill will open a Pandora's box for the health and well-being of our democracy. It is wholly ill-conceived, unjustified and egregious, says Mike Daly. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 1st of February 2022, from the news section. Blantyre Mum's Utter Relief as Son's Attacker Jailed for Murder by Sarah Pacciaroni The mum of a Blantyre man who died following a violent attack has spoken of her relief after her son's assaulter was jailed for murder. Raymond Bell repeatedly smacked David Black with a table leg and stamped on him before leaving the 35-year-old dad of one stricken in the killer's flat for days. The brutal attack in 2014 followed a trivial row after Bell and another man appeared to like the same woman. The victim suffered a traumatic brain injury requiring round-the-clock care and tragically passed away in 2019. Initially jailed for attempted murder, Bell was hauled back into the dock on a murder charge and sentenced more than seven years after the attack. Now David's mum, Kate Neal, who cared for him when he was left in a vegetative state, has told of her utter relief, saying that justice has been served, reports the Daily Record. She told Lanarkshire Live, I received the letter to say Bell was being tried for murder and I was terrified. I didn't want to face him, but so many people told me I had to go and make sure he never walked the streets, so I was determined to go to court. During the trial, if there was any evidence that he had tried to turn his life around and re rehabilitate himself over the last seven years, then I would have felt awful that he had been recalled to face a murder trial, having served that long. But when we saw him, he showed no remorse at all. In fact, he was staring at my daughter, trying to intimidate her throughout. He just looked smug. When the judge announced he had been convicted for 18 years, it was just a sense of utter relief that he won't walk the streets for a long, long time. Detective Inspector Alan McAlpin welcomed the conviction. He told Lanarkshire Live this week, David Black endured a brutal and violent attack, which led to him requiring around-the-clock care and in the end resulted in his death. We hope that this result will be of some comfort to David's family and friends, who have also suffered at the hand of Bell's actions. This article was by Sarah Pacciarotti. From the Glasgow Times of Tuesday the 1st of February 2022, from the Opinions section, Why do so many men in Glasgow find it fine to urinate in public? By Katrina Stewart. Lads, seriously, What's going on? In the past month, I've seen a total of seven men relieving themselves in public, both at night and in the broad daylight. I expect in all but one of these instances, alcohol played a major part. But besides an excess of drink, 
I have no insight into the male psyche that might help me to understand why blokes are relaxed about peeing in front of strangers. On Thursday night last week, I met an old friend for drinks at Turing Cross and decided to walk home afterwards along Sochi Hall Street and down Buchanan Street, then across the Clyde to the south side. It's a nice route and the city part of it is lovely with the lights twinkling overhead and being among people out enjoying themselves after so long under coronavirus restrictions. It was around 1am, which I know isn't for everyone, but I enjoy the walk and feel safe doing it. And yet, and yet, I had to walk past three men having a pee. Now that's not unusual, but what made it stand out, if you'll pardon the expression, was that usually chaps have the decency to try to conceal themselves in a doorway or find a dark corner. Not these lads. They weren't out in a group and they weren't near each other, so it's either a weird coincidence or this is a thing now. Each one of them was just standing at the edge of the pavement and draining their bladders onto the road. Nice for anyone driving past. On three occasions I've been stuck in football traffic on the M74 and had the discomfort of watching chaps get out of cars to take a comfort break on the hard shoulder. Just, you know, standing there beside a long line of traffic letting out a long line of water. And then possibly my favourite. I was heading to court one morning around 9.30am and a guy in a BMW pulled over, exited the driver's seat and had a pee up against a wall in full view of the road and about a minute from Glasgow Sheriff Court. There's bold and there's getting your junk out with dozens of police officers around the corner bold. Public urination seems to be on the decline if you look at the numbers. The number of fines for public urination have dramatically dropped over the past 10 years. In 2011-12, to 12, according to crime statistics from the Scottish Government, there were 4,887 fines handed out for public urination. There was a high in 2013-14 of 6,673 collared for the offence, and last year the number was dropped to 228. Whether that represents a drop in people peeing in public or a change in attitude from Police Scotland to not prosecuting for public peeing, the figures don't tell us. It's no surprise the pandemic years saw a drop as more people were at home, but lockdown did cause problems with public peeing because the normal places we could use to relieve ourselves were shut. Glasgow Central Station has stopped charging for its toilets, which is a very good thing indeed. Glasgow Queen Street is still charging for access to the loos, an extortionate 50 pence a pop. Never mind spending a penny, eh? I was in Queen Street Station just before Christmas and the toilets were a festival of folk limbo dancing underneath the barriers, bouncing over them and for those struggling to manage either route, getting a boost over the turnstiles. Is that theft? 
Well, I say, free the pea. At first, it wasn't such a problem, as we were only allowed outdoors for an hour a day, and for most of us an hour is a reasonable amount of time to last without needing the loo. Lockdown easing, however, brought with it the dilemma of what to do when we needed to ease ourselves. The normal places we would make use of to relieve ourselves were still shut. Restaurants were closed, cafes were takeaway only and public amenities such as libraries were closed. Parks were full of blokes heading into the bushes following a day of drinking. It was pretty unpleasant but you could hardly blame them. Options were limited and Glasgow's parks have closed their old Victorian public toilets. Where could you go if you had to go? Women were likely doing the same thing but being far more discreet about it. The number of public toilets has drastically plummeted since 2008 as local authorities close public toilets to save costs. Figures from Age UK, which the charity collated while petitioning the Scottish Government to make improvements, show that nearly 200 council-run toilets had been shut in the six years to 2019. A lack of access to public toilets hampers engagement in public life. Age UK also found that more than half of older people in Scotland said they would use public transport more often if they were reassured that public toilets would be available. Lack of loos most negatively affects women who tend to carry the bulk of caring responsibilities and need to take children or people in their care to the bathroom. We also have toilet needs men don't have, and so provision of bathrooms is a really important political topic, one no one really likes to talk about. But while it's awkward to talk about, it's also really awkward to have to walk past men having a pee on the pavement. Recently, I wrote about the difficulty of making public spaces less hostile to women in the wake of several high-profile murders of women and the figures showing the depressingly high numbers of women who had suffered sexual assault and street harassment. This is almost always framed as a problem for women to solve, but it's an issue caused by men and men should bear the burden for fixing it. One very small, very easy thing men can do to make streets feel safer and more welcoming for women is not to stand boldly devil may care with their bits out and having a pee everywhere. I have a huge deal of sympathy for anyone caught short and appreciate desperate times call for desperate measures. But this sort of behaviour is just taking the piss. This article was by Katrina Stewart. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 1st of February 2022, from the news section. Man seriously assaulted on Argyle Street by Sarah Pacciaroni. A 36-year-old man was seriously assaulted in an attack that locked down part of a city centre street in Glasgow on Monday evening. Inquiries into the incident, which occurred on Argyle Street around 5pm on January the 31st, are ongoing. 
Cops had cordoned off a section of the street with one police van spotted in the area. An eyewitness said that what appeared to be sheets of plastic were put over a small area of the street outside of a property. They told the Glasgow Times they've put those plastic things over something on the pavement. Looks like it could have been blood. They had their phones out, using them as torches as they walked along the pavement before stopping and placing the plastic over the top of something. A police spokesman from Police Scotland said, Inquiries are continuing after a 36-year-old man was seriously assaulted on Argyll Street near to James Watt Street, Glasgow, around 5pm on Monday the 31st of January 2022. That article was by Sarah Pacciaroni. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 1st of February 2022, from the news section. Trinity Tower. Residents in Glasgow's West End fear evacuation could last months, by Esther Tane. Residents of Trinity Tower in Glasgow worry they won't be able to return for months. The West End landmark was evacuated last week over the fears that strong winds from Storm Malik might damage it. An exclusion zone was set up around Old Trinity College in the Park Circus area of the city and the surrounding area over worries that existing structural issues may be exacerbated. Glasgow City Council warned locals they will be out of their homes for considerably longer than 24 hours, but no timescale was given. Now, residents fear they might not be able to move back for months, according to reports. Local Keith McIver, who is temporarily staying with a friend, said he returned home last Saturday to see his street closed off and was only allowed to collect a few belongings before being asked to leave. He added that some tenants are worried about their homes being broken into while they are away. He told BBC Scotland, it's a bit of a nightmare. They said there would be security, but when I was up earlier I couldn't see anything. Mr McIver added that communication was terrible to begin with. Another resident, who asked BBC Scotland not to name him, said, Nobody can tell me anything. I don't know what's happening. He estimated that around 60 to 100 households were evacuated from the area. The resident also said he was unsatisfied with communication, as he has been moved around several hotels since last weekend, only to end up booking his own accommodation so that he can keep his dogs. That article was by Esther Tane. Evening Times, February 1. Lifestyle. Designer brings Glasgow's long-lost Alhambra Theatre back to life for his gran. Report by Anne Fotheringham. After more than 50 years, Glasgow's famous Alhambra Theatre has been brought back to life in miniature model form. Inspired by his 94-year-old grand and her dancing days, designer Stuart Smith Gordon created a kit version of the legendary venue which was famous for its spectacular musicals, premieres and pantomimes. Stuart, a Glasgow School of Arts graduate, started making model kits of theatres during lockdown as a way of reconnecting with the venues. He says, I loved making toy theatres as a child and I thought I could use my skills to create model versions of my favourite theatres for fun. There are lots of lovely prints of the exteriors of theatres, but none really capture the incredible interiors of the auditoriums. His award-winning 
Ice Cream at the Interval initiative has been a huge hit, particularly with people looking for unusual gifts for theatre lovers. It also supports theatre charities, with £1 from each £15 kit being donated to good causes. He has created kits of 35 theatres, including Glasgow's Citizens, King's, Theatre Royal and Pavilion. The addition of the Alhambra was, however, inspired by his gran. Says Stuart, my nanny, Stella McGoldrick, who is 94 now, grew up in Glasgow and always had a passion for dance as a pastime. She attended Margaret Morris movement dance classes and was inspired by the Mona Inglesby International Ballet Company, which was founded at the Alhambra. She has always talked about the anticipation and excitement she felt going to the Alhambra, listening to the stories being told on the stage and being able to escape to these amazing places. When I was younger, she used to take me to various theatres, always keen to share her love of the stage, and that is something that has inspired me to this day. I have always had a passion for theatre and dance, and I've been to many productions over the years and performed in and staged some in my spare time. I never got the chance to visit the Alhambra, so when she suggested that I create it as a model, I sourced black and white archive photographs to help me create it and to bring back some fond memories for my nanny. He smiles. She was the first person to see the finished product and she was delighted. Glasgow's Alhambra Theatre was built in 1910 on the corner of Waterloo and Wellington Streets in the city centre. Mona Inglesby, who inspired Stella, was a well-known dancer who premiered her company at the Alhambra in 1941. A young Moira Shearer, famous Scottish ballet star, was part of the company, which went on to be Britain's biggest. Her last productions at the Alhambra were in the 1950s. Many celebrities performed at the Alhambra, which also became the home of the five past eight shows, with, among others, Stanley Baxter, Jimmy Logan and Lionel Blair. The theatre closed its doors in 1969. Scylla Black led the cast and the audience in an emotional rendition of Old Lang Syne at the last ever concert in the venue on May 24 and was demolished two years later. What are your memories of the Alhambra? Get in touch with times past to share your stories and photos. Report by Anne Fotheringham. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 2nd of February 2022, from the news section. Glasgow Creep shouted, I fancy you and I've been watching you through Neighbours Letterbox. This article is an exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. A creep who harassed his neighbour shouted through her letterbox that he fancied her and had been watching her, posted a letter and cried outside her door. Francis Coyle, 26, appeared in Glasgow Sheriff Court and was slammed by a sheriff for his despicable behaviour towards the woman. The prosecutor said, 
In August last year, the complainer was within her home. At around midnight, the accused knocked on her front door. When she answered, he appeared to be heavily intoxicated. The accused threatened to harm herself if she phoned the police on him. She asked the accused to stay away. In another incident on the morning of October the 19th last year, the woman was taking a child to nursery when she noticed Coyle hanging out of his window. She asked him to go back inside but he replied, Baby, just come back. The woman returned to her flat and noticed Coyle in the clothes. She waited for him to go back to his flat. But as she approached the front door, Coyle turned up and said, I'm sorry, I'm a good guy. The prosecutor added, The complainer tried to close the door on the accused. He began to shout through the letterbox, I fancy you, I want to take you on a date, I love you and I've been watching you. She asked him to leave or she would contact police. He began crying within the common clothes and returned five minutes later shouting through the letterbox again. He stated he would make it up to her. He left and returned to his flat. Around an hour later, she noted her door handle was being tried five or six times and observed a note through her letterbox. It said, I'm sorry, Frankie, your neighbour. The accused returned five minutes later and said, I'm sorry for what I done. Police were contacted that day. They attended and made unsuccessful attempts to chase Coyle. He was then traced later that night within his flat and was arrested and conveyed to London Road Police Station. The court heard that when he was being cautioned and charged, he replied, I know I was causing a bit of a nuisance. I fancy how to her downstairs. That doesn't make me a weirdo. Coyle's lawyer said, I would invite the court to impose a community payback order with supervision and unpaid work. There is clearly a mental health background, but the behaviour is due to alcohol. Since the incident, he has taken steps to assist himself and address the underlying problems. The report is in positive terms. He's accepted responsibility and he's realised how this has affected the complainer. He recognises this is a serious matter. Coyle, who has been staying at his parents' home due to bail conditions, informed his lawyer that he wants to be able to return to his own flat. The defence solicitor said, I would ask if you could impose an order which would allow him to return to his home but not contact the complainer. Sheriff Mark McGuire said, This was despicable. I don't care if you were drunk, that's not an excuse. Your behaviour must have been terrifying for your victim. She has no interest in you. Let me make that absolutely crystal clear to you. She has no interest whatsoever. You have a record of convictions which does you no favour. It's open for me to send you to jail. However, I'm not going to do that. I'm minded to follow the recommendation and impose a community payback order with supervision and unpaid work. That will serve to punish you and hopefully rehabilitate you. Coyle of Castle Milk was ordered to be under social work supervision for two years and carried 180 hours of unpaid work. A non-harassment order was imposed. Sheriff Maguire told him, you're prohibited from entering the flat, her flat or any other address the victim will reside in for three years. Do not approach or attempt to communicate with her for three years. Let me spell it out for you. You're not allowed to speak to her. You're not allowed to phone her, text her, email her, post her a letter. Don't do it. If you happen to see her in the street, you'll be well advised to turn around and go the other way. 
you're going to have to be very careful. If you see her in the clothes, you wait until she leaves the building or goes into her flat before you move. If you breach this order, you'll be brought back before the court and you won't be walking out. And that piece was an exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 2nd of February 2022, from the news section, Glasgow woman crying in dock told, Calm down, you're not going to jail, by Sheriff. This article is an exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. A woman who took two SIM cards into a prison visiting area ended up in tears in the dock. Sheriff Mark McGuire addressed Michelle Goodlett and told her to calm down and that she was not getting sent to jail. The 43-year-old appeared at Glasgow Sheriff Court for sentencing after pleading guilty to taking the communication devices into Barlini on July 3rd, 2019. The prosecutor said, The accused was within the visiting area at 3pm. This area was being monitored by CCTV. The accused was observed removing an item from her trouser pocket and holding it within her hand. A prison officer asked to see what was in her hand. Two SIM cards were observed. Police attended and the accused was cautioned and charged. She replied, I wasn't going to pass them. She was informed a report would be sent to the procurator fiscal and allowed to go about her day. She has not been allowed back in since. In a social work report, the sheriff pointed out that Goodlett denied intent. He asked her to confirm if she knew what she had the SIM cards in her pocket before she entered the prison. Goodlett replied yes and could be seen crying. Her lawyer said, What favours her is the date of the offence and the progress she's made since. This case was slow to find its way into court. She wasn't taken to a police station, she was simply reported and eventually cited for the case, which again delayed the process. There was an element of pressure placed on her by her partner, who was in prison at the time. The relationship is now over. She's in a much better position to deal with her life. Sheriff McGuire asked why Goodlip was not up front with social workers. Defence solicitor replied, She's terrified of losing everything she's built up over the last few years. She knows if she walks out of here today, she's very lucky. She was physically shaking outside. The sheriff stated, I can see she's terrified in the dock before turning to Goodlet and saying, Calm down, you're not going to jail today. I could send you, but I'm not going to. This is a very serious offence. It could be more serious than taking drugs into prison. This is something which could have been very serious consequences. Communication devices are prohibited to stop serious organised crime groups from further committing crimes whilst in prison. You are no stranger to the court yourself, but this isn't you. I don't doubt that you were under pressure, but that's an explanation, not an excuse. I'm satisfied I can deal with this by way of an alternative to custody, which hopefully will serve two purposes, rehabilitation and punishment. Goodlett of Windrod was ordered to be under social work supervision for 18 months and carried out 126 hours of unpaid work. And that piece was an exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 2nd of February 2022, from the news section, Mechanic in Audi drove double the speed limit and went through red light in Glasgow. By Lauren Brownlee. A mechanic who has been followed by cops drove double the speed limit in a built-up area before going through a red traffic light. Alexandra Daniel Pichanina, 32, 
was driving his Audi A8 at 2.20am on September the 4th, 2020, when cops spotted him in Deniston. At Glasgow Sheriff Court, the prosecutor said, Officers noticed the vehicle emerging from Todd Street, turning left into Cumbernauld Road. The vehicle was drawn to police attention due to the speed it turned at. Police observed that the vehicle had failed to slow down sufficiently to carry out reasonable checks at the junction. Police followed the vehicle, which continued at an excessive speed, passing several junctions. The vehicle was travelling at around 60 mph and a 30 mph limit. The vehicle drove through the red light, but slowed down on approach before accelerating back to 60 mph. Cops then asked the driver of the Audi to pull over, which he did. Pichigina exited the car and was cautioned and ch- charged and advised he would be reported before being allowed to continue on his journey. He appeared in court charged with driving without due care and attention and at excessive speeds and driving through a red traffic signal. His lawyer revealed that his client has since been disqualified from driving for another matter. The defence solicitor said, He's in employment and works as a mechanic. There were only two vehicles in the road at the time, him and the police. No other vehicles were being placed in any danger. He did slow down and check the red light, then drove through. That may be the procedure in Romania, but I'm not sure. He could pay a financial penalty. Sheriff Mark Maguire said, I consider this to be the upper end of the scale as he was driving at double the limit. I'm not currently minded dealing with this disqualification, but a fine in points. He's already disqualified until September, which would be longer than the period I would impose. Pesci Genia of Denison was ordered to pay a £395 fine and had seven points placed in his licence for three years. The sheriff added, Hopefully this will bring home to you that this offending is not to be tolerated. And that article was an exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 2nd of February 2022, from the Opinions section, Nicholas Sturgeon column, It's important we still exercise caution over Covid. By Nicola Sturgeon. Our collective efforts have helped secure the welcome progress that Scotland has made over the past few weeks in tackling the Omicron variant of Covid. This progress is real and I'm hopeful it can be sustained in the weeks ahead. I know that many people will now be enjoying getting back to normal again and getting to go to concerts, shows, sporting occasions and other events. However, to make sure we keep moving in the right direction, it is important that we still exercise appropriate care and caution. Protective measures like wearing face coverings and doing lateral flow tests before going out and socialising help keep us safe. Taking these basic precautions helps us to protect each other whilst allowing us all to get on with our daily lives and, most importantly, it protects those who are still at a high risk of catching the virus and getting seriously ill. As we look forward, and towards a cautious return to normality, I will do all I can to ensure that Scotland's recovery addresses the impact of the pandemic on the most vulnerable and tackles some of the deep-seated inequalities in our society. The last two years have seen the greatest period of upheaval in our society and economy since the Second World War, and our economic response must be ambitious if we are to build a fair, green and sustainable recovery. However, We currently face challenging economic circumstances, with rising inflation and increased costs of living. As with Covid itself, 
the impacts of this will not be equal across society. Amidst a perfect storm of Tory cuts, tax hikes, raising energy bills and inflation, and falling wages, the Resolution Foundation has warned that 2022 will be the year of the squeeze. The cost of living crisis is increasing on an almost daily basis. From April, average household bills are set to rise by around £700. Food poverty campaigner Jack Monroe, in a striking Twitter thread last week, illustrated the shockingly steep price and increases in basic supermarket items like pasta, rice and baked beans. It's clear that these rapidly rising costs will hit the poorest families in our society hardest and emergency measures to support households must be taken by the Westminster government which holds many of the key powers needed to make a difference. The Scottish government will do everything we can to mitigate the rising costs hitting families across the country with direct support such as our £41 million winter fund, a range of new benefits aimed at low-income households, and the doubling of the Scottish child payment to £20 a week. We have also written to the UK government, outlining the urgent action we believe they they can and must take to tackle rising energy bills, which I know people across the country are worried about. However, key powers do currently remain reserved to Westminster, including around 85% of welfare expenditure and damaging Tory policies like the £20 cut to universal credit continue to undermine the progress we are trying to deliver in Scotland. In fact, new research which shows that the Scottish Government has been forced to spend almost £600 million per year just to mitigate policies imposed upon us by the UK Government, including the so-called bedroom tax. Despite the rapidly rising cost of living, We've also had the government at Westminster totally preoccupied with self-inflicted scandal and the Prime Minister focused only on saving his own skin rather than on supporting thousands of households struggling to heat their homes and put food on the table. It is the basic duty of any government to protect people from poverty and deliver support. Yet we are currently grappling with a real crisis which the Prime Minister refuses to lift a finger to tackle. It's clear that Boris Johnson is too caught up in scandal to do the basics of his job and at this most critical of times, as we continue our path through Covid and face the cost of living crisis, he has lost the trust of people across the UK. If Boris Johnson cares about the needs and interests of people across the country, he will do the decent thing and step aside. Of course, while the conduct of the current inhabitant of Downing Street raises real issues about character and integrity, The issue is much deeper and more fundamental than the shortcomings of Boris Johnson as an individual. That he was able to become PM in the first place poses real questions for the Tory party, but it also shines a very harsh light on the culture of entitlement and contempt that seems to pervade the whole Westminster system. Time and time again, Scotland finds itself at the mercy of parties and leaders at Westminster that we don't support but who still get to impose damaging policies and decisions upon us. We can do so much better than that. Independence is not a magic wand for any nation, but for Scotland, it would put our future in our own hands and allow us to build a better country, together. And that was an opinion column by Nicola Sturgeon. Evening Times, February 2. Pioneering Glasgow Scheme helped ex-prisoners find their way back to society. Report by Barbara Nielsen 
of Glasgow City Archives. Exploring the histories of Glasgow's older buildings is part and parcel of working in the city archives. You might find that many of the city's flats, hotels and business premises were schools, warehouses or local authority buildings in their former life. Take the Cathedral House Hotel. This beautiful Scots baronial building in Cathedral Square was originally home to the Glasgow Discharged Prisoners Aid Society. Some of its records, including cash and subscription books, annual reports and photographs, are held in our collections. The Society was instituted in December 1856 with the aim of helping former inmates re-establish themselves in the world they had left behind. Help was made available to those prisoners considered respectable by the Society. This did not include those imprisoned for thieving or those who struggled with alcohol. On the day of their release, discharged prisoners were invited to breakfast at the Society's premises. Initially in St Andrew's Square, then in purpose-built premises designed by Campbell, Douglas and Morrison in Cathedral Square. It opened in March 1897 in close proximity to Duke Street Prison. After breakfast, each former prisoner would then be offered help. In some cases, a small sum of money was given, but mostly it involved the provision of clothing, food, lodgings, employment, tools and advice, helped by annual subscriptions, donations of money, gifts of clothing and offers to employ former prisoners from the public. The Glasgow Discharged Prisoners Aid Society was not alone in offering this kind of aftercare to former prisoners. By 1872, it was one of more than 30 such societies in Britain. During the 1850s, transportation as a form of punishment began to be phased out and domestic imprisonment was increasingly used. The growing number of former prisoners and a lack of formal support system after their release drove the establishment of these societies and their philanthropic work. By the mid-20th century, the context in which the Glasgow Discharged Prisoners Aid Society operated had changed. While central and local government now provided more help to former prisoners than previously, the society continued to provide unofficial aid. They remained separate from government and continued to offer help with the bureaucracy of rejoining society. A key driver at that point was to provide former prisoners with social support. An officer from the society would visit the former prisoners' relatives and try to get them back to their friends in the hope that this network would support them in the long run as they readjusted. The society was wound up in May 1974 and while it is no more, both the building and its archives remain, says Barbara Nielsen 
of Glasgow City Archives. And that was this week's Glasgow Times News podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.